Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church Podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. Morning. Jesus is good. Jesus is the man. Jesus is not the fun stealer. Raise your hand if you thought Jesus was the fun police when you were, when you were a kid. I, I know I did. You're witnessing the first time I've ever preached with the laptop, so have great mercy for me. God just, uh, you know, uh, even asking me what scriptures I was going to have and stuff, I really like to hear the Holy Spirit. You know, even at our church in Grace Culture, I'm in Ashland, Kentucky. My youth pastor, Josh, is here. Can you give him a hand? Josh, yeah. Uh, thank you for your warm welcome. We really feel like home. And uh, I just really like to hear the Spirit. Many times on during worship on Sunday morning, God will switch it. You know, many times He doesn't. But uh, even yesterday, multiple things were stirring in my heart. Um, but then this morning, for sure, the Lord was speaking to me. And then, of course, Andrew just confirmed. And isn't God just awesome? He's so, so good. We're in Ashland, Kentucky. Um, raise your hand if you're thankful for the love and grace and truth that Dr. Carl and Andrew have poured into you guys and also Gary and everyone else. Has the grace of God begun to revolutionize your life? The love of the Father actually convinced you that you're lovely? Because it's one thing to hear it theologically, you know? One time the Lord spoke to me and he said, Jake, I would love if my friends saw my car outside your house. And you might not think that's a big deal, but I didn't feel likable to God. And that's just how he speaks to me. He, he speaks to us uniquely and personally, right? And I just began to cry because God's like, hey, man, I would be stoked if people knew I was hanging out with you at your house. I am not ashamed of you. I want to be at your house. I like you. I don't just tolerate you. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we just want to, we just want to say that we're aware of the presence of your mighty love right now. We just want to acknowledge the agape love of our Father. We just declare rest over our hearts. Peace. That word in the Greek means oneness. Jesus came with the gospel of oneness. You have made yourself one with us. We are joined to your spirit. There's only separation in our minds, not in reality. (laughs) You are right here with us. Thank you, Jesus. Man, praise God. Well, I came here to cuss in your church. Is that okay? (laughs) But I'm not talking about those cuss words. Um, I want to talk about grace cuss words. The Lord has been dealing with me in the last, I would say, year and a half, and I've talked to Andrew about some of this stuff, that... Um, Maybe I threw some babies out with the bathwater because I was hurt so bad in legalism. And I want to set you at ease. I'm not about to mix the law back in. (laughs) Okay, I'm not about to do that. I'm not a mixture preacher. You're like, oh, thank you, Jesus. I thought that dude was about to start preaching Moses. No, I'm here to honor you. Um. Grace cuss words are things like commitment. You say a word like commitment in a lot of grace churches and people recoil. Because what it does is it trigger what commitment 
meant when they were in a law church. And so it's actually not, you're not doing it. You're actually going to have to fight through the wrong understanding of commitment that they had that has been defined to them by untruths. And then you're going to have to love them while they transition into really understanding it. We don't even know if we love people until it gets hard. You don't even know if it's present. Right? And so I know there's probably a lot of people in here that were really hurt in a mixture church under the law and religion, man-made religion, do's and don'ts and self-effort, and you never do enough, and you're never proving you're valuable to God because you just got to do more, 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 more. You feel like you're living in Egypt. And not only does Pharaoh, pastor, make you work seven days a week, he decreases the amount of material you have to work with and then demands more production, just like Pharaoh did. And that is not the heart of God. So when I say commitment, people will go, oh, no, no. That means he wants us four nights a week. And if I'm guest preaching, I have, to, I have to go to the office and preach it in front of the three pastors. And then they have to sign off on it at least twice before I can actually preach it. I know a guy that that has happened to at our church. And he came from another church and he would preach like once every three months. And they would give him the notes that he was going to preach. And, and here's, it's one thing like what Andrew said. Let me just say this. It is wisdom especially when you're teaching the real gospel, like your pastors are, to be careful who you let speak. Because that's not control and legalism. That's wisdom and fathering. Because he wants to make sure that you're hearing the real gospel. Amen? That's powerful. So I'm not about to mix in the law, but I am about to cuss. And uh, commitment, for instance, is the reason that... and I. Uh, a guy that I love named Dr. Lynn Heil says this. He says, commitment is the reason my house hasn't been foreclosed on. Commitment is the reason my marriage hasn't failed. Commitment is the reason my car hasn't been repossessed. Commitment's not a cuss word or a bad word. But what it means under legalism is a wound, and you hear the word and it opens up, right? So I want to talk about another cuss word. Is that okay? Can I cuss in here? I know I'm messing with you. I'm sorry. I like to have fun. Is that okay? I'm not really going to say those words. I want to say another cuss word called holiness. I don't normally do three-point sermons, but I do want you to get my first point here. Okay? Teaching holiness apart from identity leads to legalism. Teaching identity apart from holiness can lead to the wilderness of sin. So what I mean is most of us only understand holiness in behavioral terms. It is an undefinable amount of good religious behavior that you are doing to somehow become holy. Because you don't believe you're already holy. It's just like the love of God. If you don't know it, it's not a reality on your inside. You begin working to earn it. And these things are not wages. Your performance is not the quarter in the slot machine that is God. Okay? He's a good father who gives good gifts because he loves us. Amen? 
Because of a performance-based message dominating the Christian landscape in America for so long, we only define holiness in behavioral terms. It becomes an unbearable yoke, perpetuating guilt, feelings of inadequacy, and competition. Anybody been in a competitive church? I'm holier than you. (laughs) It breeds secrecy and pretense in the church which is supposed to be the realest place you can find in town. I just want I just really feel like this place is going to blow up. It's going to explode. I mean, in this town, listen, I'm in a town of 20,000 people with zero cool factor. <laughs> this town has what? 13,000 people and this is the coolest little town I've ever been in. You know, like where I'm from, no businesses want to come in and start businesses. But here you've got every sort of local shop, and it's very artsy and creative. So know from an outsider's perspective, me and Josh were like, man, we want to live here, man. This is cool. And you're hearing the real gospel in here. Amen? It's really powerful. So it breeds secrecy and pretense in the church when we're defining holiness in only behavioral terms, apart from identity, knowing you've been made holy already. Walk it out. Big difference. It prevents healing in the church because a behavioral understanding of holiness will prevent you from letting struggles you have out into the light for fear of loss of reputation. So we bury things down so as to not look less spiritual. Then we bury it down and we put on our Sunday face because we want to look holy. And the the way we understand holiness is how we look and how we act and what we do and what we don't do. But really, it's an issue of identity. It's an issue of who you are. I want to ask you guys a question. Does the holiness of God, everybody agrees God is holy in here, right? Does the holiness of God predate any self-effort of man to earn holiness. In other words, was God holy before man was created? Okay, so holiness predates any behavior of man. So how can we get an accurate definition in behavioral terms? Only under law do you begin to define holiness in behavioral terms. Holiness predates man's behavior, good or bad, and therefore must be understood in that context. Does that make sense? Was Adam made in the image of God? Okay, so God is already holy and he makes a man in his image and likeness. Genesis 1, 26 through 28. We should just read that real fast. Genesis 1. It says in verse 26, and I'm reading out of the only anointed Bible, the KJV. I'm just kidding. I don't know if I'm allowed to crack jokes like that up here. I'm sorry. (laughs) Yes. And God said, is everybody with me so far? It's going to make more sense as I go. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. Um. God is a creeper. God, God creeped on me while I insisted on being on my prodigal journey and was being stubborn. And everywhere I looked, I'm like, dude, why are you following me around, man? I'm trying to just party without my conscience beating me up. 
He creeped on me, man. He finally convinced me to come back to him. Thank you, Jesus. Has anybody heard that version of Abba by Jonathan uh, Hessler? You know, from Bethel where he says, You came running down my prodigal road. You came running with a ring and a robe. Grace was the collision on the prodigal road. To the arms of a father who won't let go. That's what happened to me. We were at a Bethel concert, and I had only heard the Rick Pino version of Abba, which does not have that bridge. So he goes into that bridge, and I I was just like, Oh my gosh, Father, you love me so much. It was amazing. (laughs) So the holiness of God predates man's behavior, and therefore must be understood in that context. God creates man in his image. God was already holy, so man was holy, right? By his very nature. Through his identity, it was holy. Holiness must be defined in terms of identity, not behavior. It's not just about who you are, but what you believe about yourself. Now, this is the second point I want you to know. This is how we begin to walk this out practically in our life. Not through white knuckling and gripping the steering wheel so tight. It's not just about who you are, but what you believe about yourself. Because what you believe about yourself at your core is what you're going to walk out. This is why it's an issue when preachers demand holiness but teach people they're sinful worms. Because then the people's hearts are sincere. They love God. They want to meet the standard. Nine times out of ten, right? But we're teaching them week after week that they're just sinful worms. And all they want to do is sin. All you want to do is evil. Did you get remade or not? So if that's what they're going to believe about themselves, right? So they walk that out naturally, but they're trying with their willpower not to walk out what they believe about themselves. And so they can't attain to the standard of holiness, mostly not because they're not already holy, because they not only don't know they're already holy, but they don't believe it about themselves and therefore do not walk it out. Anybody remember Michael Jordan? That's probably a dumb question. In ninth grade, some of you know, he got cut. He didn't make the team. What did his dad do? He knew he had enough wisdom as a father to know that Michael needed to believe about himself that he was good enough to make the team. So after he got cut, he said, Michael, you're good enough. You're going to make it next year. We're going to practice. Your shot's going to get better. Your three's going to get better. You're going to get quicker. Your vertical's going to be higher. And he spoke that into him because he knew he needed to believe it about himself to begin to walk it out. When shooters go in slumps, the coaches don't say, you're a terrible shooter, you're a terrible shooter, you're a terrible shooter, you're a terrible shooter. They say, keep shooting because you're a good shooter. That's who you are. Amen? So it's not only hearing in church through good teaching that you've been made holy once. Hebrews 10.10. We should read that really quick. It's good to see it in the Word. Amen? I'm going to touch on a few scriptures for this, but Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10, it says, By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So that word sanctified in many of your versions is going to say made holy. The Greek word means to be set apart, to be made holy. So like in the the Darby translation, it says made holy, probably in the NIV, a few of the other ones. The Greek there means to be made holy. So you've been made holy once by the offering of Jesus. 
You're already holy. It's your identity. Holiness is not a yoke that you bear. It's not something you're not that you're trying to become through self-effort. Man, that's religion. That's bondage and legalism. And it'll kill you, man. It'll wear you out. That's what happened to me. The standard was so high I couldn't do it. So I went on a prodigal journey. Unnecessary. I was just never taught who I was. Amen? So it's got to be not just who we are, but we also need to believe the truth about ourselves that we are holy. We'll begin to walk that out. Behavior is the fruit of what we believe about ourselves, not the root. You know, Paul said in Romans 8, 6, to be carnally minded is death and to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Why didn't he say to be carnally acting is death and to be spiritually acting is life and peace? Because Paul's not dealing with the surface. He's going after the root. You got to think straight to walk straight. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. Part of being spiritually minded is knowing you've been made holy. It's who you are. And then you begin to really believe that about yourself. And guess what? Stuff starts to fall off through the power of the Holy Ghost. Not through your self-effort. And guess what? It might take years. It might take time. Amen? And so as leaders, it's hard sometimes to be patient because what the law does, if you've come from more of a legalistic background, the law trains you to need to see short-term external results to believe what you're teaching is working. Because if I was to say, stop smoking or stop cussing right now or you'll be cursed, you might stop externally. Right? And that law I put on you will bring forth short-term external results where I can pat myself on the back and say, what I'm preaching is working. Look, she's not smoking. Right? So when we come into grace, things like that linger. So we can question as teachers, man, is the gospel really working? Yes! It's going on in there, man. It is happening in people's hearts. Even if you don't see anything externally yet, God is doing a work from the inside out. It's not behavior modification. It's a revelation of identity and then believing, actually believing your identity. Okay. Did Adam have a sin nature? No. Did he sin? Yes. Okay. So I was always taught that nature determined behavior. No. What you believe about yourself determines your behavior. The deception that Adam fell into is his belief about himself and God changed and therefore his actions changed. His nature never changed. You know, if you're born again, if any man be in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, behold, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away in the beginning of verse 18 and all things are of God. Okay, now you know that theologically, but do you believe it about yourself? Because that's what changes your walk. And it's not through white-knuckling self-effort. It's through revelation by the Spirit of God. Amen? You know, uh, I have a friend named Greg. And he has a story that I want to illustrate this point with before I go on to my last point there. That it's not nature that determines your behavior. It's what you believe about yourself. Do we see that so far? Is everybody on the same page? So I just want to illustrate it. When Greg was in... High school, 
his family had a cat and she had a litter of kittens. And let's say there were 10 kittens. A couple days pass after they're born and there's only nine. And they're like, man, him and his brothers and sisters are like, what happened to that 10th kitten? She was so cute and they were so sad that the kitten ran away. A few days pass and they get over it. A year later, he's taking out the trash in high school and he's taking out a garbage bag and there's a bunch of raccoons in the trash. You ever had raccoons in your trash? I know I have. I don't know if raccoons are up here. They are in Kentucky. They're like, oh, yeah, they're up there. So he goes up there, and there's two or three raccoons in the trash can, and there's this cat. And he stops, and he's like, well, that's weird. And he watches the cat for a few minutes, and that cat is acting exactly like a raccoon. I mean, mannerisms, the way it's going after the trash, everything is exactly like a raccoon. And he begins to think, that's that 10th kitten he ran away and was raised by raccoons (laughs) and now he thinks he is a raccoon and therefore is acting like a raccoon but his nature is that of a feline if he was to impregnate another cat there would not be raccoon babies there would be kittens Because his nature was that of a cat. But because of who raised him, that determined what he believed about himself. Now I know that's a, you got to think about that. Thank you, Jesus, for this house. What, 29 years you were pastor and now I'm every year now. Teaching the truth, the real gospel. Man, you guys are lucky, man. Thank you, Jesus. So you, you might not know what you have. You have it good here, and it's only going to get better. Amen? So we see there the nature of that cat did not determine its behavior. It's what it believed about itself. Amen? Sin would not grieve you if it was what you really wanted to do. Why are you grieved when you sin? Because it's not what you really want to do. And when a temptation comes, what it's trying to do First of all, temptation has no power to tell you what you really want to do. And what it's trying to do is convince you that what you really want to do at your core is what you're being tempted with. But that's not true. That's an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to remind you who you are and of what you really want to do, which is what Jesus wants to do. The best holiness scripture in the Bible is 1 John 4, 17. As he is, so are we in this world. Is Jesus holy? Well, you're just like him. That pretty much clears it up, amen? Is Jesus up in heaven wondering if he's done enough for God? That's silly, isn't it? Well, as he is, so are you. Stop striving. It is finished. Walk it out, amen? You wouldn't be grieved if it's what you wanted to do. A temptation just tries to get you to forget your identity and assume a false one. It's common to man. It's the same thing that happened to Adam. And Paul said there's one temptation common to man. Identity theft. Because if a temptation can change what you believe about yourself, it will change your actions. A temptation can't touch your nature. Your nature remains constant through a temptation. But what you believe about yourself can change. 
So it comes after your belief. To be carnally minded is death. Amen? I'm going to go to 1 Thessalonians 5.23 and we'll, we'll uh, close out. And the very God of peace sanctify you holy, W-H holy, not just H. And I pray God your whole, everybody say spirit and soul and body. Did that say just spirit? It said spirit, soul, and body. Be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so if something is going to be preserved as something, must it not already be that something? Right? So, do people can up here? Sweet. What, you like how I'm acting like I'm in Tanzania or something? Us Kentucky people are small-minded, man. I'm like, I'm up in Michigan, man. Where am I? We don't all talk like that. And I'm wearing shoes. Pete was giving me a hard time the other day. I have teeth. I'm wearing shoes. It's really weird, okay? I'm the minority. I don't know what's happening here. You guys don't believe I'm from Kentucky. I can tell. So Paul said, your spirit, soul, and body is already blameless and complete. I really want to challenge you, hopefully, in a good way. This is what I believed. 33% of me, my spirit, wants to do what Jesus wants to do. But the other two-thirds want to do what the devil wants to do and are evil. So my spirit's good because Jesus is in there, right? Holy Spirit's in there. But my members and my mind are not holy. They're not blameless. They're wicked. So what was happening, and I had not articulated this, or God had not articulated it to me yet, is that I was trying to walk out a holy life. um, And you guys know I'm not preaching legalism, right? To represent the kingdom well, because it's not about your performance. I wanted, I yearned to walk like that. But I I was trying to do it with only one-third of myself. But I was actually 100% complete and blameless. But what I believed about myself was I was only 33% complete and blameless. So I was trying to walk out in real life with what I only believed one-third of myself was. So I've got, you know, at least three personalities. I'm serious. If you, I mean, you got your mind over here, your body over here, and then your spirit. You, oh, you better, oh, you got to shut off your mind. No, you need to renew your mind. Don't shut it off. You need that thing. Your spirit, soul, mind, will, and emotions, and body are complete and blameless now. And we just step into more revelation of that. Listen to this definition of disassociative identity disorder, formerly known as multiple personality disorder. Disassociative identity disorder, this is the medical definition, is a condition wherein a person's identity is fragmented into two or more distinct personalities. This is exactly what most of us believe about ourselves. What the world calls multiple personality disorder, many call normal Christianity. 
a never-ending struggle where you only believe one-third of you wants to do what Jesus wants to do, and the other two-thirds are distinct personalities trying to get you to do what the world wants you to do or what the devil wants you to do. And no wonder nobody finds victory. Dr. Carl is a big-time golfer. You know who Jordan Spieth is, right? These guys on the PGA Tour... They pay this guy named Bob Rotella, sports psychologist, hundreds of thousands of dollars every year. Why? To believe they're only one person. They're the guy who makes the 10-footer to win the tournament. You are the guy that does not choke on the back nine on Sunday. You are a winner. This is all he's doing. He's just trying to convince them they're only one guy. God's trying to convince us we're only one guy. Because only then will we walk it out with continual victory, lasting victory. Amen? So when 33% of you, what you believe about yourself is that's the only part of you that you think wants to be holy, it's really hard. But your heart's sincere. What happens is you begin to strive, perform, to earn something that you already are by nature. You just don't believe it about yourself yet. So the Holy Ghost is trying to change what you believe about yourself. So you then begin to walk out holiness. If you look up the word holiness, it means to be full of integrity. And if you look up the word integrity, it means to be one in word and deed, to be absent of hypocrisy. So Jesus was holy. Why were sinners attracted to him even though he was holy? Because most Christians I've met that thought they were really holy, I'm not trying to hang out with them. Because he wasn't a hypocrite like the Pharisees. If you're holy, you're absent of hypocrisy. You're one in word and deed. You're real. Amen? And that will really attract people just as it did in Jesus' day. Not only did he want to hang out with them, they wanted to be around the holiest being in the universe. That should tell us the way we've understood holiness might be a little bit off. Amen? And as any good grace preacher has to do in a moment like this, I am not preaching a license to sin. (laughs) I'm not saying that. So stupid, reap stupid. I don't know if you ever say anything like that, but I've learned that. I'm under grace. God loves me. My righteousness is secure. As Jesus is, so am I. But if I get hammered and drive a car and hit something, yeah, I'm under grace. God loves me, but oh man, I got to deal with a huge fallout. Right? And I have never heard someone who preaches grace in the new covenant say, grace gives you a license to sin. No one actually says that. It's just an accusation, right? Thank you, Jesus. Um, If you're taking notes, Hebrews 10.10, 1 Corinthians 1.30, Romans 11.16. Those are great verses where you can read on your own time to see, okay, I am 100% holy, spirit, soul, and body. Father, help me begin to believe that about myself. Help us, Holy Spirit to just step into these revelations. Help us to know that they're not these big lofty things that only theologians can understand. This is actually really practical stuff that you can implement right now.
Thank you, Jesus, that your love and grace has invaded our hearts. Thank you for the measure we understand it now, and we thank you for the continually growing measure as each day passes that we are just in awe of how much you love us. Help us to know that we're not just loved, we're liked. That you wouldn't mind seeing your car outside of our house. You want people to know that you hang out with us. You never leave us. Thank you that if we do make a mistake, that that attracts you. It doesn't repel you. Thank you that even in our worst struggle, you are there with us. Father, I just declare over the, just the leadership here, if I may speak, that um, a knowing that the gospel and the word you guys are putting forth is making massive impact in the hearts of people. And do not be discouraged if uh, you feel like there's no external results. Trust the Spirit and the work of the Spirit on the inside of people. Continue to lay out the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ as you're already doing. And trust the Spirit. He'll bring the increase. Thank you, Jesus. I just declare that this place would look like this big magnet to everybody in this town. And they drive by, and they don't know why, but they just feel magnetized in here. And that you guys don't even have to say anything to them. They just walk in, and the love of God just wraps them up like a blanket fresh out of the dryer. And just feels like home to them. And not only can they be accepted, they can grow here. They can find community here. Father, I just thank you for Andrew and Kristen. Thank you for the relationship we're already forming. Thank you for a guy that's real and cool and isn't hokey, but is totally in love with Jesus. I need that in my life. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We just worship the name of Jesus right now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. You know, I don't want to freak anybody out, but if you guys would, just close your eyes and imagine that the Father asks you to go sit on Jesus' lap and look into his lightning eyes and tell him what he means to you. There's no language to do it, is there? Thank you, Jesus. You mean the world to us. You pulled some of us out of ridiculous, ridiculous messes and are currently pulling us through that stuff. Thank you that there's never any condemnation coming from you. Thank you that the voice of accusation I hear in my mind sometimes, the one thing I know for sure is that ain't Jesus. Thank you for your pure, pure love. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. God's love is extremely powerful. Amen. Thank you guys for having me. God bless you. For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.